What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> ABC for me. ABC, one, two, three. Y'all remember that from your childhood? I do. I do. Yeah. Try to forget it. You remember that? Yeah. Do you remember that? Their TV show. I can't remember. It was a Sesame Street. No, that's Jackson, Jackson Five. ABC. Five. Yeah, it was. Remember they had their own TV show. Yeah, they did. No, I, I don't remember that one actually. Yeah, that that was that's like. That's probably when he was time. little bitty yeah, boy. He was really small. Yeah. I remember the theme song though. I'm mm -hmm. surprised Brooks didn't remember it. Well, I do. As soon as you said Jackson Five, hey, I was like, oh yeah, of course that makes sense. Yeah. Oh well. That's synonymous with Jackson Five. Yeah. yeah well, he just uh, passed away the other day. Yeah, the, the dad did. Uh -huh. I was dad. Yeah. I was like, in Richmond, and the ABC came in. I was 21. We were all drinking, and I said, ABC, <laughs> one, two, three, and he tried. You're going to jail if you don't shut up. <laughs> 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 Give me your license. I'm like, I'm a 21 year old adult. Yeah, you know. that's funny. But I shut up though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably the dog or something. No, it was a uh, T bombs. T bombs. Yeah, I hear. I got of... a brick from T bombs in my backyard. Really. You two Richmond folks, you guys talking about something I don't even know about. Well, uh, Some kind of bar, I assume. T-Bombs was gone long before I was in Richmond. But my parents were in Richmond, and uncle was in Richmond. It seems like everybody went to EKU, so I hear about T-Bombs a lot. T-Bombs and the dog. Yep. The dog's gone, too. It's yep. pretty bad when the hot spots in a college town are the bars. Oh, no. <laughs> when no, when no, that's, that's all right. anybody remembers. Well, um, on Wednesday night, T-Bombs had 50-cent whiskey, and it was Jim Beam White Label. Oh, Chad? See, I'd, wow. like a, I'd like a double, and it was a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's uh, let's start the podcast. What do you say? We got Nathan Brooks on today. He you've been on before. I have, yeah. I, honestly, I can't remember what we talked about the last time you were on. Uh, I don't know fishing no. and little hunting. That's uh, a we talked about a tree count, I think. Is that is that right outside mm -hmm. the window? Yeah, the lawnmower just started. It's only ninety seven degrees. <laughs> yeah, feel but, bad uh, for those guys. The heat index is just one hundred seven. <laughs> Our maintenance guys never stop, so no. I appreciate that, but. No, so the problem usually when somebody comes on the podcast, I can remember exactly what we talked about forever. But I talk to Brooks in the office literally every day, so we have a uh, hundred times more conversation than you know just your average person. So it all blends together. So uh, I wish I would have looked at our notes and known what we talked. I'm about. pretty sure it was right after our turkey hunt. Uh, it was. Right, oh you know, yeah, yeah. About that. The coyote and the turkey and all that yeah. good stuff. Yeah, it mm -hmm. was. Yeah. That's what and then, uh, okay, so of course we got Nathan Brooks on today as a guest. Uh, he's executive producer of Kentucky Affiliate TV. I'm Chase Winnegar, and I'm sitting down. Uh, Lee McClellan right here across from me as well. How is everybody today? Uh, you, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> We're doing well. Yeah, I guess I, <laughs> I'll respond for the folks out there that can respond. That was as close as... <laughs> just went by the window. <laughs> That was that was as close as he could possibly get. So. Yeah, it's all, I think he's actually mowing the brick on the side of the building. <laughs> I don't know how he cut any grass going as fast as he was. <laughs> That's as close as he can possibly be, though, so we're good. And we don't even know the lawnmower. I don't even really think the blade is engaged. He's just <laughs> driving around to look good. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's uh, he's just getting paid today. That's <laughs> all he's doing. No. All right. Well, anyway, Lee, you've been sick lately. Yeah, that or you've been fishing. You've just no, been no, saying just this sick. week. I, I'm fine now. Yeah, you're fine now. I didn't know if you were just first using... time I've been sick since uh, last fall. So I didn't get the flu this winter. Didn't get a cold. Yeah. I mean, I had, yeah. I've had a good run. So knock on wood. Time. Knock yeah. on wood. Yeah. I've been I lucky. Do. But uh, you also told me you've been striper fishing. I have been striper fishing. Yeah, so have I. It's been fun, Brooks. Yeah. Jealous? I've not been striper fishing, and yes, I'm jealous. 
Well, uh, I went with my, my wife, and she caught the biggest fish of everyone. That's the way it works. How it goes. How it goes. The other day, we were talking about taking a trip to Del Hollow on personal time. Me and Chad were, and he said, you know, do you think Kristen want to go? I said, yeah, I think she'd, I think she'd probably uh, like to do that. He said, that's good. You should ask her. I've always wanted to know how big the fish get in that lake. So I was like, <laughs> that's just how it goes. I know it's it, yeah. No secret at but all. I'm okay with that because that means more trips. Yeah. You know, anytime if they don't catch anything and they're fish. bored reading a book, then that's yeah. not good. Yeah. Anytime my wife catches fish, she wants to go again, and that's usually a good thing. Yeah, so I'm right there with you. So, yeah, we went uh, striper fishing yesterday. It was me, Jeff Roberts, and Jeff Bardroff. And, uh, you know, Jeff Bardroff is, he's, you know, working into becoming a guide. He's kind of, he's getting interested. He's not taking uh, trips yet, but he's, you know, trying to get some experience. So he asked me and Jeff uh, Roberts if we wanted to come down and jump on the boats with him, kind of just to be guinea pigs, right? So I was like, yeah, sounds good. A free fishing trip on Lake Cumberland for striper. So we go down there and uh, catch a few fish. And then I already told Brooks this story yesterday because I had to explain to him why I was going to be late to work today. But uh, we were packing up to move spots, and I pulled the trolling motor off the front of the boat. And we were running across the lake, uh, you know, up on plane, and we hit a wave, and the trolling motor deployed on plane. Mm. Yep, snapped the shaft right in half. So, uh oh. Yeah, I That's felt a bad way to go. I felt bad about it. Jeff Jeff didn't blame me or anything. Like, he never said a word about it, but at the same time I was the person who pulled it up, so I kinda of felt, you know, a little bit responsible. You think it did it not engage all the way, you think? Of the locking yeah, mechanism sometimes they don't. That had to be the case. It was it was an iPilot uh trolling mm-hmm. motor, so it didn't have a rope on it. And it didn't lock in like your traditional trolling motor. It kind of has those. Buddy uh, of mine had one of those. You got to grab the head and kind of pull it up, and yeah, it kind it's of got a, a little handle, and then you. There wasn't even a handle anywhere. I just used the head, but it has these uh, almost like slips in the front, and they have to tilt back to lock in. Mm-hmm. And, and if you just pull it into the slips, it's not locked. So, trolling motor went off the front of the boat, going forty miles an hour across the lake, and snapped the shaft. So, I spent uh, the vast majority of my day yesterday driving his trolling motor back up to lexington you know a guy named dave smoot mm-hmm. yeah he uh, he fixed it for us i've heard it yeah he's apparently just the best when it comes it's to got chad mentioned one time yeah, I, always yeah. did it lose the, the prop assembly and no, all that? it just snapped in half the, it was a fiberglass shaft so it just snapped right in half and uh drove up to lexington got dave smoot to work on that he fixed it for us and drove that back down to cumberland then i turned around and i drove right back up so i made four trips to to and from oh wow did y'all fish anymore after you got it fixed? Well, no, we uh, we called it quits whenever that happened. But we had three striper in the boat at that point in time and a smallmouth, which was pretty cool. Caught the smallmouth out in the middle of no man's land, right in the middle of the lake. You caught that when you're trolling too? No, well, kind of. We were getting ready to troll, so we were setting planter boards out on the back of the boat. You, you had to have a fishing pole out, didn't you? Is that what it was? No, I mean, we were. So here's what we were running six, six back and on planter boards, three right, three left. Yeah. And then we were running uh, four downrig downrig rods off the side of the boat up front and uh I can't, how, how deep were those you know we were going between 30 and 40 i mean where is this guy mowing at <laughs> i mean how, there's no way you can make that many passes for a 10 foot strip <laughs> no, no, he's got a zero turn he's literally mowing a 10 foot stretch he's been back and forth 10 times oh my god you think he was mowing it with a a pair of a uh, electric beard trimmers or something, <laughs> just like motorized beard trimmers. Ridiculous. But um, no, so the smallmouth is the weirdest thing. And Brooks thinks that I was just like, we didn't have any rods out, but I was just. Because having... I tell you, no matter where we are in the lake, if, if we're on a boat, 
I don't care how fast we're going. Chase has to have a line in the water. <laughs> I do. That's just the way it is. I do, man. I have a hard, I have a hard time not fishing. We can. <laughs> me too. That's something about trolling. I, I, my buddy finally ended me doing that by making me do the trolling. Oh, there you go. He, he, he baits rods and I do mm-hmm. the trolling so that way I'm not dreaming about fishing at point and stuff. You know, if we're not, I, if I we're not on plane, even if we're just idling somewhere, <laughs> he's got to have a line on the water trolling some swim bait or something. Yeah, That's I, why I, I figured he'd probably call it that way. No, like if we if we leave a slipped and we're getting ready to go out on a shoot or something like that and we're, you know, idling out of the no wake zone, I'll toss a swim bait over and just, you know, run it through. I mean, you never know where that fish is going to hang up and this is a perfect example of that. But no, I wasn't doing that when I caught this smallmouth. I was actually... Uh, I just put a uh, thread fin shad on a hook, and I was getting ready to run my planer board out. So I was putting line in the water so I could set my planer board. That happened to us. But we were sitting in 150 foot of water, 200 yards from the bank, Mm -hmm. no structure around, no nothing. And I tossed that thread fin shad in the water, and I was feeding line. I'd say my my bait was probably about eight feet deep, and all of a sudden, bam, smallmouth on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a strange, like, it's nowhere you would ever think to cast for a smallmouth. I mean, we got, I caught a strike or a spotted bass, same way, out in the middle of Fall Creek. That's wild. Uh, you know, 100 feet of water, you well, know, and about eight feet know. down, boom. Like, what's that? And it was a spotted just, bass. Just traveling through. Nice right. little fatty, you know, I love spots. They're fun. Jeff Roberts, he says that he thinks that uh, some bass are just nomadic. Like, mm-hmm. they, they, like, some bass will, you know, they'll hold up on structure and points and all He said he thinks there's some grown bass that will just follow the bait bait fish schools yeah yeah they'll just follow the bait around the lake almost like a completely different uh mentality than most bass have they're probably the hardest ones to catch too mm-hmm. but um no it well, was fun. summer it summer was a bass suspending too. time oh yeah it was probably three, three grounder or something like that i put a picture of it up but uh the uh, the stripers we caught all at once i mean two rods went down at once and i went five minutes later another one went down so i think that we uh got in a school of them or something like that mm-hmm. And then it looked like later in the day, we were seeing fish really deep on the graph. I mean, beyond 100 feet. I'm not sure if it was just the electronics being a little fidgety or if they... We had the same thing. They were just above bottom, and I, yeah. I tend to not trust those signals. Yeah, I was like 120 feet. It's awfully deep. And, and you know, <clears throat> Mike Harden sends me those profiles of the lake. Yeah, the thermocline. And, and, the, and then you can see where the DO is, but... Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, they go 90 feet deep in the summer. What's and a some, DO? The dissolved oxygen. Oh, okay, okay. And sometimes what will happen on Cumberland is you'll have dissolved oxygen down to, say, 40 feet. Then you'll have a 20-foot barrier where there's none, and then it starts again at 60 and goes to 90, especially as you get into late summer. This will start happening. Hmm. Not all the time, but it does. It's kind of weird. You know, and if you know that space of water, you can just eliminate that whole span yeah, of water. Yeah. Don't fish between 40 column. and 60 feet. Yeah. Right. We caught all ours between 20 and 40 feet. Yeah, you can see that on some graphs, mm-hmm. can't you? Yeah, the really, the ones that cost a lot of money. You know, <laughs> a lot of people probably don't know anything. Of, I mean, I didn't know much about the thermocline or about dissolved oxygen or anything like that until I started, you know, working here and talking to people about it. So a lot of people probably don't understand it. Mm-hmm. You should give a quick rundown on what that is. Because, I mean, you could easily waste your time fishing in a certain depth of water. Without- well, I wrote a column a couple of years ago about um, late summer, early fall, you know, hard um, times. Because that can be a very difficult time to fish. And talked about the thermocline that a lot of people don't realize. You know, like, say on Taylorsville, the thermocline at this time of year is 12 to 15 feet deep. There's no, If you're fishing for bass, there's no reason to really fish any deeper than that. Yeah. Um what happens is as the lake thermally stratifies, the dissolved oxygen below a certain level disappears in the summertime. And the shallower and more fertile the lake, 
typically the thermocline is few less. Now on Kentucky Lake, that doesn't really work because it flows so much, there is no thermocline, breaks it up. Mm -hmm. Cumberland, again, it can have that split thermocline where you have dissolved, good dissolved oxygen down to 40 feet, none between 40 and 65, and then from 65 down to 95. That's a unique phenomenon to Cumberland. <clears throat> like on um, Barron, I think Nolan, those are 15 to 20 feet a lot of times. And you can look on the core website. I wish they updated it more regularly than they do. But you can look and see the thermocline. It'll show you the dissolved oxygen and the temperature profiles. And so you'll know suddenly it'll just shift over to the right where there's no DO, and that's that's where the thermocline is. Huh. Huh. And we all hear about turnover. Well, turnover, the thermocline, as we get into fall, get into October, when the top layer becomes cooler than the water underneath of it, it sinks, and then it's all that dissolved oxygen gets spread throughout the lake. And that's what turnover is. And that can be a really difficult time. That's the start of good fall fishing a lot of yeah. times, too, once the turnover comes. Yeah, so basically, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why that is all. It has to do with the temperature of the water, basically? Yes. And it has to do with stagnant water as well, because you yes, said... temperature and fertility. Yeah, because if there's flow, it's going to keep the oxygen moving. Yeah, like Barkley and Kentucky, they don't have it, because, I mean, they exchange their water, whatever. Um, Jerry Bynack, who used to be former fisheries director, he's retired now, he told me the flow rates for different reservoirs. And like Laurel exchanges this water, it takes nearly a year, I think, if memory serves correctly, for Laurel to exchange all of its water. Well, that's just because Laurel River doesn't have a, yeah. a huge amount of flow, and that lake right. is 200 feet deep, yeah, so it holds exactly. its own water. Cumberland is, is, is shorter than Laurel, but long. Kentucky Lake, I think, exchanges this water every five days or something. Wow. <laughs> that's so it's just, it's, it's like a buffet of fresh nutrient-rich water coming into Kentucky Lake. That's why it's so, why it's so, so fantastic for fishing. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so it's just a buffet line coming at them all the time. So basically, there's a, in this time of year, when things start heating up temperature-wise, uh, there's a certain point in the lake or a certain layer of the lake where there won't be enough dissolved oxygen for fish. For fish. Yeah, so yeah. They, they won't be there. So you can look on the core website, and you can see where that is, and you can you know keep from wasting your time. Gauge your fishing accordingly. And the turnover in the fall... Because I, I didn't have a huge amount of knowledge of the turnover. And you, when you just explained it, it made perfect sense. But basically, the of course, things that are warm rise, things mm -hmm. that are cool sink. Yeah. So as the temperature starts to cool off in the fall, the surface layer of the water is going to start to cool off as well. And when that starts to become cooler than the water below it, it's going to start sinking. Mm -hmm. And that water on the bottom is going to rise. And it mixes everything together. And, and then oxygen. you have dissolved oxygen throughout the water column. That makes and, perfect And you sense. said right in doing that turnover is when it's really tough fishing. Yeah, it can be. Because can the be. fish are kind of like, ooh, it's probably. But on. then once it happens, then it can turn on again. Oh, but it's cooler in general, mm -hmm. and they kind of get rid of you. Yeah. I would assume there's probably less oxygen in the water in general during that turnover. Because mm -hmm. the unoxygenated water is becoming mixed with oxygenated water. And it probably takes a while for September everything. September is a tough month because yeah. especially what can happen at... Uh, Cumberland is especially some people have expressed some concern about this year because it's been so high. Yeah. And, and when they pull a lot of water, they pull, I think sometimes that, that dead zone could be from where they're pulling, they pull the habitat for the striper right out of the lake. I mean, they don't, you know, it's not malicious, it's right. just when they're generating electricity, that's the area that the stripers like. And you get into August and you get into September, the, Jim Maxson used to call it the winter stored water. That up and when you when it turns over and mixes, that water that layer gets compressed and compressed and compressed as the water temperatures um, get warmer. Then you get into August, you get into September. That that zone can get really really tight, 
And sometimes it can get to where the stripers don't, they'll go to where it's cool versus where it's dissolved oxygen. Mm -hmm. And we've had, sometimes we'll have a few fish scales. Doesn't happen very often, but they will stress and like sulk for a few weeks until the DO gets um, mixed around again as we get into October. Well, the good news is that uh, <clears throat> September is deer season. Yeah. So when that happens, I can just, you know. But September can be a tough month. Yeah. You know, a lot because it's so pretty, it's getting cool, it feels nice. And then you go fishing, like, I'm good to you then. Well, it's a, it's well, a like transitional said, tough time. To it's a great month, month for stream fishing for smallmouth. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Well, it's time I, to go get the woods. I can't, I can't break myself out away from the deer when it's that time of year. Because I spend so much time fishing. Like, I fish a lot right now. Every, I mean, I probably fish three or four times a week at least on the low side. We're all jealous. Well, <laughs> I'm just, married. <laughs> we're not married yet. Yeah. Hey, I, honestly, I don't think that would take too much. of. So. Before I was married, I, I would have fished, you know. Yeah. All, I mean. Every night, practically, if I could. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, when when it starts getting close to September, I'm ready to the woods. I, I'm not ready yet. I'm ready right now. I was talking to Brad. No, me and you both aren't ready. But uh, <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do, but I'm ready. I can go tomorrow if I have. Oh yeah. I need to. Yeah, I know where I could probably go set up. But I need to start getting my my cameras out. I need to start doing all that stuff. And luckily for me, I'm not a person who runs food plots or anything like that. I just kind of hunt the woods. But I do like to have an idea what's out there. Do some scouting. So that's really the next step. I need to get my cameras out. And, uh, well, this is the time of year where you can really start to see what those deer are going to be, those bucks, what they're yeah. going to turn into because they've got their main frame and then they're just putting on length at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so if you got your cameras out, you can really start to see, take inventory for the bucks there in the area and, and yeah. hopefully see what you got. If you, were, if you were running cameras before right now, you were probably antsy. But at the same time, if you had a specific deer that you were looking for, you could probably tell if that deer was hanging around, yep. but right now you really can see what you got. If you know that deer well enough, you're going to see a feature, whether it's a double yeah. throw patch or he's got a cut in his ear or he's got different colorations in his legs. You, can, you, you know well enough. You've been able to see a number of tines probably out through G3s mm -hmm. or G4s yep. for a couple of weeks now, but <clears throat> yeah, I'm ready to uh, run cameras and get really excited about deer hunting. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, I, when season starts getting close, I'll start having a hard time sleeping. You know what I mean? I, I get really excited about deer season. What's weird, though, this year is that, and I'm sure this has happened in the past, September 1st is the opening for deer season and dove season. Mm -hmm. well, so I for those that, dove gets me excited. Yeah, so for those that love both, what do you do? Well, Which you, one are you going to choose? Deer hunt in the morning, you dove hunt in the afternoon, and you yeah. deer hunt in the evening. <laughs> but that time of year, deer hunting is much better in the evening. Mm -hmm. The morning is no not that great. Well, uh, I mean, I've, I've been on dove hunts where it's been as hot as today. Yep. Like, my God, I'm going to die. Six degrees. So, mm -hmm. so what I do uh, during early season, because you're right, deer hunting in the morning isn't actually a good idea. Yeah. When uh, Early season, when your deer have a pattern and they're predictable, you don't want to bump them. And the easiest way to bump a deer is to go in on them in the morning when they're up feeding. You mm -hmm. know, they're going to be being active and moving. Unless and you it, have an easy path to get well, to their Even if you way. if you walk in there in the dark, you can easily bump a deer. Mm -hmm. And if you bump them off your pattern, that's a big no-no, and you can you can screw that up. So I always want to go hunting anyway, though. All right? I know, I do too. So what I do is I go hunt somewhere else. You know, I have a specific area where I have a buck patterned. And, and that's the deer I'm hunting. But if I want to go hunting, i got a great weather day for it or something like that, and it's early season, it's in the morning, I'll go somewhere else. And I'll basically go hunting 
just you know rolling the dice yeah maybe a big mature nice deer will walk by me that i didn't know was over on that side of the farm or something like that or maybe you just want to kill a doe when you can yeah get a doe. Oh, i do a lot of meat hunting early yeah. last it's year i think i had three does in the freezer before i got a, a buck and that's something years ago i didn't do i would always hold off and take take my buck first because i didn't want to shoot a doe and then have that buck you know walk by as i was getting down the track or something mm-hmm. like that i've just never been lucky enough to really have the opportunity to, to pattern a big buck in september yeah so I'm just hunting at that point when it's September, and I'm just, if a doe walks by me, I want to put it in the freezer and uh, have that ready to go. Some people have rut farms, too, though. I feel like your farm is a little bit of a rut farm. You know what I mean? It probably is. Like, I have a specific side of the farm that I hunt that, uh, you know, one side of the farm, I can pattern a deer. I know exactly who's going to be there and most likely where they're going to be. Other side of the farm... Uh, I, I won't have anything good at all on camera. I won't think there's anything there. And then when mid-October rolls around, all of a sudden, oh, here's that here's that big one that yeah. just walked half a mile up the creek to come find some does. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's no doubt that the farm I hunt is is a big travel corridor where those bucks are working yeah. during the run. Oh, I think the creek has but, a lot to do with that. Yeah, it does. But there's also huge uh, agriculture around. Yeah. So those does are there in plenty, plenty too. So. Yeah, those creeks are a main. Creeks tra- are great, yes. Yeah, that's a travel corridor, and if you got a farm that has ag on it, it's going to hold does. And when the rut starts to kick up, those bucks are going to start traveling, and they're going to use those creeks to do it. So you're going to have a bunch of newcomers come through. Because I feel like it was last season, kind of mid to late deer season. You were talking about, you, well, you had one deer that was pretty consistent, ten pointer, right? Yeah, I had one deer uh, that was definitely there consistently. And but there were some other bucks you were talking about showing up and things like that. So yep. it happens, but I'm ready for it, man. I need to bring my bow out. Yeah, I know. I, I keep thinking we need to talk more about this on the podcast. I'm like, well, it's still two months away, and that's all we're going to talk about. Two, 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 two months is not that long. No, it's not. I might have two camera checks in me. Mm-hmm. But if I put my cameras out this weekend, like Sunday, I would give it three weeks. I'd check them. I'd give it three more weeks. I'd check them. And then the third time I checked those cameras would be when I went in there opening weekend or opening week or whenever I was able to do it based on wind. Yeah. So uh, that's not a lot of time. No, no. Trail cams are—it's amazing, you know. Yeah, it's changed. I've got a love-hate relationship with them. I love um, just because I I love deer. I love seeing kind of what they do and how they naturally act. But it's also it gets to be where it's like, am I cheating almost? But (laughs) but it's so much fun to see, and then I get my hopes up. Then I'll see a deer and I'm like, oh crap! I've seen them once or twice. That that's kind of a pattern. Let's see what I got, and then you just don't find I, I love trail cameras like uh last year who knows how my season would have gone if i didn't have that trail camera I had to let me know that deer was still alive oh yeah you if you did not mean? yeah if you didn't have that you I'd have been, you might not have been back out there yeah i probably would have been hunting somewhere completely different because that was my only shooter on that side of the mm-hmm. farm and i thought he was gone and then uh, he showed up a week later and i was like well i guess i got a reason to keep hunting here and eventually i got him so trail cameras uh and i mean not only they let you know what's in the area but when they're coming through you know, I knew that deer was coming through uh, three afternoons. Uh, you know, I knew about what time he was getting there. And the first time I had an opportunity that deer, I don't know if you remember, but I left work early that day. Yeah. I was like, that deer's been coming through early afternoon. I said, I don't know why. He's not coming through around dark. He's coming through, uh, you know, four hours before dark. And I have no idea why. I, I left work early, climbed up my stand. I was sitting there five minutes and here he came. You know what I mean? So I barely made it in time. But I don't, I don't know why. Some deer so, are funny. So we, we, there's been so many advancements in in, our, in the archery industry with with bows and arrows, but are trail cameras like the yes. biggest technologically? Yeah, it's, technologically helped, it's, helped, it's helped a ton for hunting. And I yeah. think eventually, when it becomes more, 
feasible for everybody because you know when things are new the price is high mm-hmm. and eventually as things you know, it, well I'm, I'm not just talking about trail cameras i'm talking about the uh mobile the cell the service cell, yeah because yeah, that's what everybody really would like to have yeah that way i don't got to walk in the woods and check my i don't put corn out so i other than to switch that sd card out i have no reason to walk in there right so having the picture sent to you automatically would be pretty awesome but right now it's still really expensive yeah so once the price of that technology starts to drop they recoup their R&D and, you know, the prices start to level out. More competitors get into the industry and, you know, they have to lower their prices across the board. More people are going to have that and that's going to help a lot too. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Maybe that'll help cut down on people feeding corn because then they're like, why well, don't that's wanna... the reason that they try to. Yeah, well, well, if you have less reason to go to your trail camera, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, there's an advantage to feeding corn, which draws some deer in, right? There's also an advantage to not going to your trail camera at all. Absolutely. Keeping your scent out Every there. Every time you yeah. go, you're leaving scent. Yeah. Or you might get seen, obviously. So maybe some people will switch from the one advantage to the other. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a give and take. And then if we have less corn piles, we'll have less concentrated raccoon populations, and then we'll mm-hmm. have more turkeys. <laughs> yeah. Right? Isn't that mm-hmm. what Zach said? Something like that? Yeah. So, oh, something uh, like that, yeah. Anyway. But, but, yeah. Still, but still, I mean, like I hunt public land on occasion, so you got to be careful about trail cameras. And I know there's a ton of people that use trail cameras and public land. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's easy to get stuff taken, and uh, so mm-hmm. it's like you want to use them. And to this point, tree stands walk away too. Tree stands do too. And uh, I, tree stands walk away on private land too. Trust me. And I've been lucky enough where I've not had anything taken on public land, um, and I just I don't know why that's the case. Maybe I've been lucky, but uh, but uh, I love using truck cameras, so uh, yeah. I, I stick it out there and I try to hide it and find a way to get put it in a spot where I think I'll see the deer, but maybe it won't be highly trafficked by people. I, I've had stuff walk away on private and on mm-hmm. public. I lost a trail camera and a climber at Taylorsville one time years ago. I mean, yeah. it was 12 years ago, probably something like that. And I've lost a trail camera and a hang on on private land. So, I mean, I, I can't really forgot this, but I've not lost anything in public, but I did have somebody take my SD card on my camera on private. Yeah. So it's, you never know. Well, on public so they people, steal the camera. They took the they SD took the card. card. They, all they wanted was the proof that they were there gone. Yeah. Hmm. They, they stole the card. So mm-hmm. nobody would see their picture on the camera. Right. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't like a thief. Thief. They were just a trespasser. Who, it's probably a trespasser. That <laughs> yeah. Was yeah minimizing their 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 guilt that they felt. Yeah. But just it's funny. It. I knew I, when I walked up, I saw it was crooked. I was like, that's not good. Yeah. So I knew something was going. Yeah, that happens. Unfortunately. Oh well. But yeah, geeked uh, geeked for deer season. I was mm-hmm. reading an article on Realtree.com earlier. I think I said something to you about this, Brooks, where uh, Kentucky was graded an A. And they went through and they talked about the fact that most states that produce trophy whitetails have an area of the state that produces trophy whitetails. Like uh, in Illinois, it's probably like uh, Milk River, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? That's Montana. Montana Milk Wyoming, River. Is milk, um, you know what? You Illinois, know what, yeah. There's like the Golden Triangle Pike in Illinois. County, Pike County area. There's a three-county area. Illinois, yeah. Yeah, so most, most trophy buck states have a specific area that produces really good deer. But Kentucky, it's dispersed across almost the entire state. They talked about Western Kentucky, uh, North Central, South Central, and they also touched on a little bit, a little bit out in uh, Eastern Kentucky. And of course, Eastern Kentucky does produce a few less deer, uh, especially. But they're there if you work for them. Oh, you have to work for them. They are definitely there. It's just the terrain and the ag. That's and, also why they sometimes get big out there because they're yeah. hard to find. Yeah. But there have been some big deer come out of the oh, yeah. Boone National Forest area, and oh, just uh, there's a booner that come out of there almost every single year, mm-hmm. isn't there? Especially up in like uh, Pendleton County, that's uh, northeast. Yeah, that's, state, isn't it? that's where the 
monster of all monsters yeah. in Kentucky came out. Well, which one's that? Account. That's the typical. The 204 typical? 204 yes, by uh, Robert it's Smith. A, Robert Smith. A, a, at one point, that was the fifth largest typical ever taken in the world. Is it still that? I, I think it, that it is. Yeah. Still, <clears throat> that's what it says on the, the sign. Me, uh, well, Chad, Brooks, Jameson, and myself, so basically the crew here, were uh, up there looking at Austin Musselman's mount that he donated the other mm-hmm. day. So we had... Uh, That's up at Salado. Yeah, Austin Musselman. He killed, what is it, 256? 256, I believe, was all right. Yeah. He killed... Uh, it was 100% fair chase. And I, I know some people that know Austin fairly personally. I think people up here at the department, Rachel Kroom, I think might know Austin. The foundation, yeah. Yeah. And, he does uh, a lot of work helping them out. But he's big into, into managing, managing his farm. He does an amazing job. 100% fair chase, 100% just real management on this farm, 256. And I mean, it's a stud. So we're right now. Right now we have that deer up there. We have the Fort Campbell buck, which went 257, and it is extremely impressive as well. Mm-hmm. Plus we have uh, what's the name of, out of Taylorsville? Um, it's the the, um, the Mikey Monroe buck. Yeah, the, which was there. which is on the cover. That's, yeah, yeah, it's a tough story to tell. But yeah, it's yeah. a tough story. Um, very impressive deer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then also the, uh, the so the 204, the the record typical, the Mikey Monroe buck, the. Uh, Campbell Buck and the Musselman Buck are all up there, so it's a pretty impressive lineup. But we were all up there arguing about if if you one of these, if all four of these deer walked by you at the same time, which is like something of dreams. <laughs> but if all four of these deer walked by you at the same time, which one would you take? And that's a tough question. Two hundred four typical. It's beautiful. That's what Brooks that's said. That's what I say too. And I, I know I look at the, the non typicals are pretty, but some of those palmated ones that look, you know, like man, I look like at the, the Vogel Buck. I think's ugly. You know, the one from Gary County that yeah. was in Outdoor Life and all no, that. Oh, is this one? I don't like the ones with, the, like, the turned down. It was turned down. No. Wasn't it palmated a little bit in spots? Yeah. It was, yeah. I like the Campbell like Buck. I, I like the Fort Campbell Buck, yeah. and that thing is amazing. There's no doubt about it. But there's just something about a clean typical mm-hmm. that just No, just, just here's amazing. what I'll say. I don't like a non-typical. I don't like the turn down. All right? I, with the droopy antlers, I'm not really into that at all. I like a typical look, right? But that Fort Campbell bug has a typical frame. You know what I mean? He's just got double splits. Right. He's got kickers. He's got all kinds of junk. And so he's not like one of those goofy-looking non-typicals. He is just a beautiful, big, awesome, tall, heavy, furry-racked deer. You know what I mean? Now, I like everything about it. So I think I would probably take the Fort Campbell deer. I'd like to have seen it hard-horned. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I guess the score on the Fort Campbell deer wouldn't count, would it? Not officially, no. Oh, well, I don't care. I'm not in uh, Boone and Crockett or Pooping Young, no. I'd like to have that deer. Man, that thing's awesome. Oh, well, that's something. Uh, Fort Campbell is kind of a different situation. Like Austin Musselman's able to manage his farm so well, mm-hmm. Fort Campbell's kind of a, a different management. Yep. Mm-hmm. In itself, so. It's restricted quite a bit, and obviously you have to have uh, – you're much more likely to be able to hunt it from military background. Or yeah, well, those, those deer grow old there. You know, that's Sometimes, a that's yeah. point. And obviously, they aren't protected from but, roads. They get hit by cars there. So. Yeah, and thankfully, they uh, allow it to uh, be hunted, too. And, yeah. Uh, we, we're still them, and then obviously Fort Knox, yeah. you're, you're allowed there as a bonus buck. Good deer um, come off Fort Knox as well. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, another opportunity. Um, the Bluegrass Armored Depot puts on a deer hunts every year mm-hmm. if you get drawn for that one. So those uh, those opportunities are out there for others to not only just get a single deer, but maybe more than one buck in, in your deer season. What are you jotting down there, Lee? It's like taking notes. A um, couple of ideas for coming up. Oh, really? Well, um, you know, we're going to go digital this year. We're combining the dove and waterfowl guide, a truncated version, into the main hunting guide. Okay. And then we're going to go digital on the dove and waterfowl guide. 
Hmm. So I was writing that down as an idea to talk about in a couple of weeks, okay. along with the dove season preview. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, uh, when's the summer magazine coming out? I was curious. It's it's on its way. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, is that article going to be in there? Um, Catfish, Elkhorn? Yes. Okay, cool. I was kind of interested to see that. Yes. Have you, have you seen the pictures yet? Mm-hmm. Have you? No, I haven't. Well, well, we've got like five things going. So, yeah. we're finishing up this piece I did on Tug Fork, and then yeah. uh, we're, we're we're tying up catfish. Yeah, I went and talked to Obi the other day, and he seemed pretty busy. He's he's yeah, <laughs> he's got a lot going on right now. What's yeah. the uh, cover story in this this uh, summer rat magazine? It's, it's going to be uh, on catfishing, and also the blue water trails I did on the Tug Fork. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, you. Kevin, Lee, or Kevin, you are Lee. Yes. Kevin, Obi, and yourself all had a well, day. I'm, I'm sometimes other names, but we won't go into that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, sometimes I'm Especially at home with my wife, I'm some other names. <laughs> I never been, we all? I've never been on the Tug Fork. I'll read about it in the uh, magazine and, and decide if I need to make a trip. It's well, over then, there by West Virginia, right? Yeah, I mean, you're you are right in the heart of McCoy, Hatfield-McCoy right. territory. You go by the hog trial site, you go by... Well, you float right by where the pawpaw tree incident happened, where the three McCoy brothers were killed by devil ants in retaliation for them killing uh, his brother Ellison at, at the uh, famous uh, Election Day fight that really kind of started the whole feud. You go through, you go right by Randall McCoy's cabin where it was burnt up and they attacked him and killed two of his kids. And, you know, you go right through the middle of it. So How long there's is a it? lot of history with it. Is that the the river that's talked about in the Hatfield yes. McCoy's? Yes, that's huh. the tub. So that's okay. So how how long of a float do you have to go on to see well, all the history? This one, this the one I'm concentrating on, I believe, is right around four miles. That's a short and float for all that. It is, but it, you're right in the middle of it. Yeah, and it's really good habitat through there. And one of the things with the tug is they're working right now, and <clears throat> I'll probably be doing some follow ups on it. They're they're buying access above that and some more above that. A group called Friends of the Tug Fork River. And some other groups are, are, are trying to make this a, a, a destination for paddling. And yeah. uh, they, they get big turnouts for their events on it. Yeah. But, but they need more access from Buscar, Kentucky, Mate One, West Virginia, um, which is right across the river from one another, up. Access from there upstream is few and far between. Yeah. So they need, and that actually from, from Mate One up is, is the prettier part of the river. Okay. The, the mountain vistas through there. Driving to um, <clears throat> the Hatfield McCoy Park, where you, where we put in for this float, are just incredible. Um, just, it's beautiful country out there. So, is the uh, is the cover story that is the Tug Fork? Is that going to be a Blue Water Trail piece, or is that a yes, it okay? Is a Blue so, Water Trail piece. Awesome, very cool. And uh, they see smallmouths up to twenty two inches in that river. Ooh. And I've seen pictures of them. It's not <laughs> oh, I caught I caught five pounder in there. No, it's not that. You hear people yeah. in Elkhorn, I caught five pounder yesterday. I was like, wow, <laughs> we've never caught a five pounder in a shocking boat, but that's that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you catch like twelve inches and people catch a sixteen incher, they'll just because it's so much it's bigger, so much bigger. Yeah. They just they go crazy. Oh, if I, much hey, I will I will occasionally catch an eighteen incher in Elkhorn, mm-hmm. and that is a good fish. And that is a fantastic. Yeah, fish. Six, sixteen incher I consider it to be a good mm-hmm. fish. Oh, I, I think anything 16 above an Elkhorn to me is yeah. a trophy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just considering the size of the habitat and all, it's just, it's not going to produce see, what the new river produces. A lot of pressure. 22 inches on Tug Fork. It might, make, might get me over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've seen pictures. If you go to incredible. Friends of Tug Fork River and see these guys holding up, I mean, there's a couple of them. It's like <laughs> fish, you know. I mean, yep. if you caught those in Cumberland or Dale, you'd be like really happy. Well, that's know? a trophy smallmouth. I mean, by the statewide. It sure state, is. What is trophy smallmouth? 21? 20. 20? Mm-hmm. So if a keeper on for large amount. I got you. I tell you what, I've got something I'm I'm thinking I might try to get that line class world record right down at Dale. 
steal it back because Dale should have the world records if you ask me. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about trying to take uh, Kristen out there and get her on a three eight or better smallie. Twenty one incher should be three eight or better. Yep. Gotcha. And what is it? What's the line class on that? Yes. Yeah, so you were looking. At, you're, you're looking at the world class record book where they have mm-hmm. the world records divided by. There's yeah. one girl that has like five. Apparently Chase and I were talking. Way. We went. We went through the record oh, book. Yeah. And Chase and I were talking about. Well, it. so I don't, I don't completely agree that the line class records should be divided by gender, but they mm-hmm. are. Yeah, that does make sense. So there's overall uh, world record for a species of fish, and then there's line class records, which are for some reason gender specific. I don't see how there's not an that equal was an attempt to, to grow. And, yeah, probably, yeah, but there's an equal playing field in fishing. That's mm-hmm. one of those sports where there is an equal playing field. Well, I mean, my wife got the biggest fish over when we were in Cumberland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it happens to me all the time. But uh, that I think the I don't know if it's six and eight or four and six, but they're both under four pounds. So I mean, catching a, a three pound nine ounce smallmouth, it's not that hard. Enough. I mean, we've been out there on Dale and we've done in March and pulled in yeah. multiple three yeah. to four pound oh, smallmouth. No. I mean, but, I don't want to say it was easy, but I mean. You can do it. A twenty-one, mm-hmm. a twenty-one. Especially if you're a Chad. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. a lot to be a Chad. You're exactly right. The uh, man knows that lake. That's but a twenty-one inch smallmouth on that lake should be over four pounds. Oh, I would. Yeah. So all the the idea is that on six pound test line, all a female angler would have to do is catch a over the slot fish, mm-hmm. and he should be good. Well, I've caught quite a few in Cumberland, and I, I caught a twenty inch at Dale that was like. Four eight, and I've caught a twenty incher in Cumberland. It was in February, so it was a female, and she was already starting to get a little eggy. And she weighed exactly five, and she was only twenty inches. Well, yeah, but weighed exactly five pounds. So yeah. I think that's very doable. Mm-hmm. I asked Chad what he thought mm-hmm. a twenty-one inch smallmouth would weigh right now in Dale this time of year. He said anywhere from four and a half to five and a half, depending on the the fish, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, that's still a stud smallmouth, but oh, Dale, that- Dale produces them. Oh, my God, it does. Speaking of uh, fishing with Chad, we went down. When I say we, I'm talking about the Kentucky Field crew. Yep. So Nathan Brooks, Nathan Sangster, Jameson, myself, and Chad uh, took a trip down to Nolan Lake, and then we also went to Kentucky Lake, and we went night fishing. I uh, saw that one you caught. Which one's that? Oh, on, on Kentucky? Kentucky, it looks Smallmouth? Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've but, caught smallmouth at night on Kentucky. It was fun. Yeah. We caught several. Yeah, we did. I was surprised. We actually caught more smallmouth than largemouth. Yeah, they were up there closer to the bank than we expected. Yeah, mm-hmm. but when we went to Nolan, we went down there. And we had a little fun fishing competition where uh, we we had two boats, so we split up boats, five guys. So uh, Chad, Jameson, and Nathan Sangster went on one boat, and me and Brooks went on the other boat, which was and we fished this based on okay, uh, doing division. So however many fish me and Brooks boat divided by two, however many fish Chad, Jameson, and Sangster boated divided by three. So basically, average fish per average person. Fish caught. Yeah, per boat. And uh, Chad knows that lake. Chad knows the spots. So I felt like Chad had a slight advantage. No, it was bit. more than slight. But. You know, me and Brooks lost by one fish. Yeah. And it stinks because we had five or six get off, including yeah. a, a good fish or two. But um, it was a lot. I was on no limb with Chad. We weren't there five minutes. He caught 23 inch large mouth. <laughs> we were, I mean, we weren't there really. It was within right. the first, I mean, 10 minutes at the most. Yeah, well, we were doing pretty well up until it got actually dark, yeah. and then we had trouble finding the spots we needed to find because we could easily spot them a little better in the, in the light based on yeah. the rocks or whatever. But uh, yeah. then we when it got dark, we went back to the spot where we were catching them earlier, and that's where we just stayed. Yeah, we caught them. Chad knows every spot, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, I mean, heck, his daughter caught like a well, how big was that bass Campbell caught the other day off the dock? It's like a three pounder. Yeah, it's a good fish. But there, are they doing the shoot there tomorrow? Yeah. Okay, so. Yeah, that, Jameson said, yeah, they're leaving. 
They're yeah. going tonight, correct? Well, they're going to get some crayfish tonight, hopefully, and then uh, fish with them in the morning. Well, the technique, I, you know, honestly, you don't always want to say we're going on a shoot before we go on a shoot. Right. But I feel pretty confident about this one because mm-hmm. it's hard. I mean, if you're fishing with live crayfish around the rocks that you know fish are at, you're probably going to catch fish. Mm-hmm. So I feel comfortable enough saying that they're going on a shoot that I'm kind of jealous I'm not going on. Yeah, if you watch Kentucky Field TV and it goes like the next two months, you don't see this segment. For some reason, we did not get a shoot. Yeah, that we did not did. catch any fish. But I feel like it'd sometimes, be Sometimes, you know, I've had some, like our, um, when we did on Floyd's Fork, remember, you got, sometimes I'll get bumped, you have other stuff come up, and, mm-hmm. and you yeah. know. But, I mean, this is, Chad's been waiting. He's waiting for the lake to settle. He knows what he's looking for, going uh, to a creek and saying in life, crawfish, and they're going to go and they're going to fish off those boulders out in the lake with those live crawfish and just drop them down the edges. Well, one of those boulders where he caught that big 23-incher. That's mm-hmm. where he it's catches. down near the dam. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. Probably the one right in front of his house or something, mm-hmm. or in front but of the It was just the around dock. the corner. Oh, really? Well, it could be. Was it kind of off shore about it's 50 near yards? the ramp there. It's by the dam. There's oh, like a little I know exactly. Right across the dam. Yeah. yeah. The ramp. I mean, yeah. And there's yeah. some big giant boulders yeah. in there. I caught, I caught a fish off that exact boulder while we were there after we put the, I don't remember if we put the boat in the water or Yeah, something. you guys were transferring boats of something. Yeah. Before. But yeah, we, we, were, we, we were over at the ramp for some reason and Chad said, do you want to catch a fish real quick? Grab a rod. And we literally, I mean, we just idled out from the boat ramp and fished that boulder and wham, caught him. So <laughs> That's exactly what That's also the night we got drenched. Because we oh, had caught yeah. up thunderstorm the, on top of us. The second night we were there, um, Chad, Brooks, and myself all, you know, we, we'll fish. If somebody offers us opportunity to fish, we're probably going to fish. So we went out, and we were catching fish. And I think we were doing fairly well. Chad was doing really well. Yep. But uh, he's on the front of the bus, so he has an advantage, mm-hmm. right? But uh, we but got, actually, I prefer fishing off the back of the boat. That way, I don't have to screw in the trolley motor. Yeah. <laughs> hey. But he's always catching the fish in the front. Uh, so no, but I, I still think you can do all right. It make oh, it yeah. think about it. It make me feel bad though if I if I switched with him and I I was up front. He was still wearing me out. You know, oh, they yeah. don't have no, no excuse. Which Chad, that might happen. They probably yeah. would. But uh, we were out there and we got absolutely downpoured on i mean it was a like the perfect little sail of red went right over our boat it was rough for a while out there but it was fun though it yeah. was a lot of we fun back, thankfully a lot of light there wasn't really thankfully yeah there uh, later I or think maybe it was. it was just so yeah. thick of rain that we couldn't see a lot it. of people need to you know be cognizant when you're out fishing this time of year that mm-hmm. if yeah. that's if the the biggest key to me is it can be dark and rumbly and all but once that cool wind hits uh-huh that's when you know if you need to make a run, make a run. Well, that did happen a few days later after that when we were covering Carp Madness. Oh, yeah. The department had another Carp Madness event with the bow fishing tournament mm-hmm. down there. Took off at Kentucky Dam Village, and they are supposed to start fishing at 7 is when they left the ramp. And, of course, some didn't take off right there. Some of them drove and ramped, uh, put in somewhere else. But it was less than an hour later when the monster cell came through and there was even a tornado yeah on you know, uh, did you hear about that? city mm-hmm. yeah did you hear about that yeah that did a little bit tornado mm-hmm. on the ground i mean right there there's people on the lake who were fishing the event who had pictures of the tornado yep, yep. um coming down it was pretty wild so we waited that out there's did a, the air turn cool right before it hit uh, i believe so yeah. I can't I mean, i've been in july I mean, where it's been 95 and all of a sudden the air is like 60 something i'm like we were better run we were sitting there at the ramp uh, above or I guess below Barkley Dam. Yeah, we were basically sitting there at Barkley Dam in the parking lot. And uh, we saw it coming from miles away, just lightning every five seconds, you know, and you knew that it was going to be bad. It did start raining for quite a while, and uh, but you knew it was going to be pretty rough. And we saw boats racing to get off the water, trying to yeah. beat it and all that kind of stuff. So It was cool. Did you all eat a Nose Barbecue? I heard it's open again. Which one? We did not no eat Nose Barbecue. It's no. in Barkley We Dam. tried a new one. J-Max, I think is what's called. Yeah, J-Max. Where was that at? It's, uh, is that 62? Six, it's right next to a bait shop. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Is it near the cabin? 
No, no, we, no, we no. did get it's, to the cabin. It's right down from Kentucky Dam Village between the 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 the, the dam and uh, it's actually twenty four. This is okay. like within a mile and a half of the Kentucky Dam Village. Yeah, it was yeah, good. I like I liked it. I will say I was unimpressed with their options of sides. But a lot of times a barbecue that happens. They didn't concentrate so much on the food and yeah. the sides are. Well, their barbecue was really good, but their sides it wasn't that it was average. It was the number of them. I can't yeah. remember. I got like. Well, they, I don't think they had baked beans or mac and cheese, which are two staples. Yeah, or French um, fries. Barbecue or they didn't French have French fry. fries. They didn't have baked beans, mac and cheese, or French fries. But the barbecue was really good. The so. barbecue is really good. I, I can't complain with what I had. No, so. it was good. I enjoyed my meal. Yeah. yeah. Nose is a place that looks just like you walked mm-hmm. into like 1961. Yep. You know what I just realized, Brooks? And it, he retired and he closed it. But then I've heard on good authority that, um, that it's opening back up. I'm pretty sure it's back open. Yeah, yeah I think that, it is. That, that is... My my favorite barbecue in Kentucky. You, you remember after we ate that uh, ate at that barbecue mm-hmm. joint, we walked over to that uh, that tackle shop. Yeah, and I bought a big snagging treble hook. Yeah, and I hung it on the lamp in our hotel room. You loved it. Oh, it's sitting. Yeah, I left a huge <laughs> treble hook attached to the lamp in the hotel room. So they got a nice gift. Uh, I hope. I don't know if the cleaning people would have seen that or not, but it might still be sitting there. Yeah, so like it, it, sense down the drain. It's like close? it's like the biggest treble hook you've ever seen. You're gonna snag with it. Yeah, well, I never have gone snagging before, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not extremely interested in it. But uh, I wouldn't mind going down to the spillway at Taylorsville and catching an Asian carp or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and seeing uh, I never had been on a boat below Barkley Dam bow fishing before, and uh, getting to watch that was pretty cool too. After that tornado passed, I jumped on the boat with some guys from Michigan, and uh, they were in the tournament. Yeah, they were in the tournament. And I was just. You know, did they hammer them? Uh, unfortunately, did not hammer them. After that tornado came through and all that all that rain, it kind of clouded up clouded up the uh, water a little bit, made them tougher to see, and a lot of the fish went deep. Mm. We could see the. Uh, the that Asian, happens a lot after a storm the lakes ended up being a lot better because yeah. they had two divisions: rivers and lakes. The people in the lakes ended up doing quite a bit better after the storm yeah. than those on the rivers. Yeah. Mm. So, but uh, we could see the Asian carp on our on our graphs on our sonar. And I mean, they were all hanging out at about 15 to 20 feet, and there were just schools of thousands of them. It was ridiculous. But we did get into a couple of good uh, jumping groups of them, and uh, got some cool footage, too. Yeah. Some of the footage. And Brooks is putting together a piece right now. Yep, yep. It'll be out for the show next week, next Saturday, hopefully, as long as I finish it. So, um, still a lot to come to put together, but uh, it's coming along. So so what is the, the, this Saturday is the 7th, so you're talking about the 14th. Right, So July 14th. Yeah. That should be our Asian carp one. That, and it's cart madness too is what it is. Yeah. But it was a it was a or cool. Was it the event. original cart madness? Yeah, I think your original cart <laughs> madness was a tad bit more successful. Eighty six thousand pounds. Yeah, I think yeah. we only got like what, it was so, around twenty. 20 um, when you take into account how many the number that jumped into the boats because they couldn't count for their actual weights for the tournament those that just jumped in. Yeah, mm-hmm. they couldn't count those, but they still took them out of the water. Obviously. Yeah. Um, so but, that's actually not bad. Com- commercial fishing versus bow fishing. Well, there were, I think, 81 bow fishing competitors. Yeah. And I think maybe 20, 15 to 20 commercial fishermen. Is that right? So mm-hmm. the, the number, yeah, if, if that, yeah. So those numbers are about flipped. 81,000 pounds for 20 commercial fishermen, 20,000 pounds for 81. boat had so many, I thought he would swamp. <laughs> I mean, he had maybe one, two inches. Yeah. Of I think that was Barry Mann. Gunwell. Sti- yeah. His, one his, boat his, had 20,000 pounds, right? Yeah. That's ridiculous. I was like, I can't believe it didn't sink. <laughs> yeah, that's a ton. Um, but I mean, that's actually ten tons. <laughs> um, Ron Brooks, the fisheries director, was obviously expecting quite a bit more fish. The, the weather really hurt it, but it was more about getting the message out, just making sure people knew that yeah. this is still a problem. He even used the word dire, and, and it really 
stood out to me when he was talking to us. He used the word, it's a dire situation mm -hmm. with these fish. And that's, that's hard to hear because those fisheries down there are so important for tourism and, oh, no. and just every sportsman and woman <clears throat> yeah. in, in, the, in the state. Kentucky so. Lake is heaven. I just... Oh yeah, and I don't, scourge. Yeah, and there's something's going to have to be done, and hopefully that just getting the word out, more people will understand the issue, and something can be done. Whatever you, it is. I'll tell you what, a little bit of a contrast. I told you I jumped on the boat with those guys from Michigan, and they don't have the Asian carp there, but that's because of all the precautions that are being taken in Illinois, mm -hmm. up along the Chicago on the mm -hmm. Illinois River to keep them out. I mean, it's like billions of dollars are being spent. Spend a ton of money. I mean, you think about how much. Uh, they want to keep them out of the Great Lakes. Yeah. yeah. How, what, what fishing is worth to the Great Lakes and what tourism is worth to the Great Lakes. Imagine if you couldn't drive a boat 40 miles an hour across the Great Lakes without having to worry about getting hit by an Asian carp. No doubt. You know, in the a walleye, all the good fishing was gone. <clears throat> and that's kind of what you're going to what you're seeing a little bit of. That's the fear, at least, on Kentucky right. Lake. So, yeah. It's, I don't uh, spend a ton of time down there, but I've not experienced that yet. I've seen it in video. Yeah, I've heard people talk about how they'll just be running down the lake, down the channel in Kentucky or Berkeley, and they'll have fish jumping. I've not experienced that yet, but people talk about it. When so. I got to see how those fish jumped the other day while you were bow fishing, right. if, like they were jumping into the boat. They hit some of the guys that were bow fishing, just jumping into everybody. If you were running when that happened, it could be bad news. No doubt. Yeah, Some guys were use an old uh, garbage can lid. <laughs> as a, as like a, a shield? shield, like a Roman shield, bop, and bop them off of them. Which would be a lot of fun. It'd be fun to take a spear and make a big shish, uh, fish kebab, too. Like you're <laughs> You'd have to be a tough dude to grab a... But yeah. My understanding was the FLW tour event that was recently held in Kentucky Lake. Didn't it set a record? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we, had, we talked about we that. We had Easton on. Yeah, a yeah, record bag uh, for the winter uh, over a record bag on a single day and a record total tournament bag for the FLW. Plus, he I, caught a nine-pounder. So I keep hearing about you know those big fish are still there. And that's what they found. They found some big fish, especially those leaders. But they're talking about that two-year-old class. The two, there's no no two-pounders. Nobody's catching any two-pounders. A couple of years ago, that's all you caught. Right. That's all you caught was 16 to 19-inch fish. I, I saw mean, Chad catch a blue million. I saw Chad catch a couple two-pounders yeah. over there. We yeah. we night fished one day on Kentucky also. Uh, that's when I caught that smallmouth you saw. Also had a smallmouth fight back. I had him hooked, and I was reeling rod tip up, which wasn't the best idea, with a uh, three-quarter ounce nighttime spinner bait. And as soon as that smallmouth got to the top of the water, my hook slipped out or something, and that spinnerbait came right through the air and hit me right in the face. You're lucky you didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Getting hooked or anything? Yeah, I left a whelp, but I mean, it was just that weight coming at me like 20 miles an hour, bam, right in the face. I had one hit me right in the chest not too long ago, too. Yeah, it's wild. I've had many lures hit me. Hey, yeah. speaking of uh, spinnerbaits and getting hit by them, I've gotten good feedback on the podcast recently. I wanted to tell you that. I had, uh, well, first, the thing that happened that reminded me of this is, uh, remember when we talked about Chad hooking Jared Swift mm -hmm. in the face? Well, mm -hmm. apparently after we released that podcast, uh, Jared started getting phone calls from people, you know, making that kind of joking with him about it. So obviously people were listening. That's calling. good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I thought it was funny too. So I hope we don't have to impel ourselves to, to, no. to, to, get, to, make a good to get an audience. Yeah. Well, not just that, but Easton also told me he had several people come to the, his last token cook that said they heard about the 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 event through the podcast and good deal yeah 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 so that's good that's what we want mm -hmm. I got good feedback on that column I wrote about the English Legacy Program and all the public education program got really good feedback on that and the other day I was out on Elkhorn and I I was just kayaking down I saw this big northern water snake over on a log so I uh, I paddled over and I beached my kayak it was actually in a riffle so it was kind of tough to do and then I was sneaking up the bank on foot to go grab this big northern water snake just so I could show somebody and this dude's kayaking by he's like hey you do the podcast. And he uh, he stopped and I talked to him. He said he's a, he likes to listen. And he was asking when we were going to put our next one out. 
and uh, what it was going to be about. And at that point in time, I didn't know, but I was talking to Brooks about it. And I, obviously, I've been waiting for you to get healthy mm-hmm. so you could come in here and we could talk. So I'm glad we were able to make it happen. I'm feeling better, you know. Yeah, it's good. And Things I'm, happen. You've been striking fishing. Of course, you're feeling better. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. <laughs> was, and, and, you know, we caught, we caught nine yeah. Sunday morning, a week ago Sunday. Well, Not a single one kept. We me. caught seven Saturday morning, three kept. So there's a, yeah, there's a tremendous year class coming through. I'm telling you, next couple of years on Cumberland are going to be on fire. Good. You're going to have a lot. So I mean, we, if eight. you catch nine stripers in the morning, you've had an incredible day. Mm-hmm. That's like catching nine muskie to me. You know, usually if you catch three or four good ones, you know, your limit's two. And if a lot of times you only catch two because you get your limit, you got, you know, you're done. If you're out there, you don't know anything about striper fishing in Kentucky. Like I grew up in the western part of the state. I didn't know anything about it until I moved to the, over here a little bit. It's it's amazing. It's a lot of fun and they're great eating too. Oh yeah, I mean I ate some for dinner last night right. and for lunch today. They are delicious. Delicious and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I never had targeted striper. Well, I had it I had before, but never with much success. I'd gone out of my kayak before and done it, but caught one. But uh, we caught three and all three were keep, keepers. That's good. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, we would have probably caught more. We were getting ready to run to a spot that Jeff had a lot of uh, confidence in when trolling motor snapped. Um, so that put a damper on things and we had to stop fishing, but all, none of us skunk. We had three people in the boat and all three of us caught and all three of us caught a keeper. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I was very happy with We it. ran out of bait. We had so many, we had a million pull downs too. Well, the planter board would go under and then pop, come back up and there'd only be the head huh. of the L wife on the hook. Strange. Maybe just those marauding smalls. smalls. Yeah. That's strange. Uh, Cause, uh, well, I, I bet we I'm, had half a dozen pull downs in addition to nine we caught. I don't think we had, uh, that happened much at all. The ones we got into, well, you also sound like we were in a little bit bigger fish average mm-hmm. because, like I said, we were three for three on keeper, and you guys had so maybe it was just the size of the fish they were inhaling the whole hook. And, yeah, they did. I think they, they were like 19, 20, 21 inch smalls, but yeah, the biggest one we caught was just a shade under 30. And that, I mean, that's a good fish. That's what that's about. Well, Stacy caught one 29 and change. That's what that's what the biggest one, yeah, it was one I caught a 27 and a 24. Yeah, what's the limit? 22. 22. Yeah. But the rest, everything we caught Sunday morning was 21 inches. Can you imagine the state record 57 pounder? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, that was back in the day when people didn't really know how to catch them. Mm -hmm. Back in the 80s. And one thing, the L-Wife, everybody, the L-Wives are great and all. I have mixed feelings about the L-Wives being in the lake, but, you know, that's neither here nor there now. But back in the day, the striper used to get in the jumps a lot. And... Uh, in Fisherman put out a video one time that would just make you with a guy by the name of Tony Compasano, who was a great guy down there. He died of cancer. And, I mean, you'd be in a cove, and the whole cove would just start erupting like a percolator. And it was all stripers. Wow. you just throw a dollfly or a big spoon or whatever in there, wham, and you just hammer them. With the introduction of the L-Wife, they just don't come to the top like that anymore, like they used to. They during the day. To. They do at night, but not during the day. They didn't really planer board back then. They mm-hmm. just, those techniques, and as those techniques came along, I think uh, the stripers got a little smarter because, you know, but a lot of it's the L-Wives that changed the pattern of stripers somewhat. Hmm. That's interesting. I'll tell you guys what, we should probably wrap it up. We've been going yeah. for a while. and We have. I think we've had some good stuff. So. i got to get back to work on my cart maintenance piece, I guess. Yeah, if you're ever going to get it done. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, anyway, thanks for coming on, Lee. Thanks, Brooks. Yep, that's been and fun. We'll do it again sometime soon. Talk deer hunting. All right. Talk deer hunting. I'm ready for it. <laughs>